Welcome to Mayfield Baptist Church. We are very excited to have you with us here. We do encourage you to follow us on our social media, which you can access through our website at mayfieldbaptist.com. Please feel free to like and subscribe to this podcast to keep you up to date with our latest messages. We do hope you enjoy this recent message from NBC, that it may help you connect to God, grow in your faith and serve in your own context. Good morning, Mayfield Baps. <laughs> Jay Messi. It's great to see your faces from this perspective. Um, thank you so much for um, your support for us over the years. Thank you for those who prayed for us and asked questions and written and um, reminded us that we belong here and that we are supported by you. Thank you very much. I want to add my welcome to... Um, Lynn's welcome at the beginning of the service, especially if you're here for the first time, especially if you're not even quite sure why you came, you're not even quite sure if there's a God out there at all or whether that kind of stuff's important. Good on you for being broad-minded enough to turn up and do your own research, and I hope you come back. Um, As Anna said, um, at Anapali Church each week we say, the Apostles' Creed, and we say it in Nepali, and those who can read, read it off the screen, and those who are illiterate have memorised it and join in, and those of us who are kind of newly illiterate stumble along. Um, A creed is a bunch of sentences that um, collects together important truths that we think are worth repeating over and over again and reminding ourselves of. So I'm going to have a go at a creed right now. On behalf of us, those of, you, those of us who aren't here for the first time, but those of us who come regularly. So, a creed. We who come regularly really honestly think that God exists and that that matters. And that God made the universe, including our world. Or we don't know exactly how he made it, but it's not an accident. We're not an accident. In the natural state of things, we're distant from God, far from God, not interested, certainly can't comprehend because God is so big and so old and we are so small and so recent. But also we have flaws as humans. We have imperfections. We don't live up to the high standards that God wants for us. But God has gone to extraordinary lengths to bridge that gap between us and him. Extraordinary lengths. God came as Jesus so that we could at least partly understand what God is like. Of course, we'll never understand fully. We're too small and too silly. But we can partly understand, and thanks that Jesus came, that we can comprehend a bit better. And through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the gap between us and God can be closed and we can become friends and have a relationship with God. So we're followers of Jesus, those of us who come regularly. We're followers not out of fear, not trying to suck up to God, not worried about what's going to happen to us after we die, but in response to God's great love for us and reaching down to us. This is not a hobby. This is not a hobby that costs us one hour a week by turning up to church. Church is the tip of the iceberg. Being a follower of Jesus is a way of thinking, a lifestyle, 
It changes the way we see everything and everyone. How we see life and death, friends, enemies, work, play, dreams, nightmares, wins, losses, money, poverty. It changes the way we see everything. How we see life, how we experience life, how we hope to live, how we plan to live, all this changes because we want to follow Jesus. How's that? Fair enough statements for those of us who come regularly? Oh, it doesn't mean we think we're better than anybody else. Not at all. You know, one of our great Christian thinkers said, if you don't think there's anything you need forgiveness for from God, then Christianity probably doesn't have much to say to you. (laughs) We don't think we're better than anybody. Not at all. We're much more acutely aware of our failings. But we're very thankful for God's forgiveness and to be allowed to be in friendship with him and with each other. Now, Jesus lived about... 2,000 years ago, and he was a Jewish man. And uh, the Old Testament, as we call it, the Old Testament, existed already when he was around and had existed for centuries. And the laws of the Old Testament were centuries old. And he was asked uh, at least once, possibly more often, what are the most important of those 600 commandments? We know 10 of them are very famous, and, you you know, 2,000 years later, someone made a movie about them, didn't he? But of all those hundreds of commandments, which are the most important? And Jesus answered quickly and confidently, well, there are two. One is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the other is to love your neighbour as you love yourself. Both quotes from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And he didn't invent the idea. These are centuries old, these ideas, and were the common answers to that question. And in fact, someone else answered that question that way and Jesus congratulated you for being right about it. So this morning I want to focus on one of the words in those two big commandments, the word mind. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Um, Because the way we think dictates our attitudes and our attitudes dictates what we do. And what we do is really important. And the New Testament especially is very big on, well, you can believe things and you can have opinions and you can say stuff, but what you do really matters. Um, Next slide, I think. Yep. So it's May Mission Month here. I know, it's already been said, it's not May, okay? It's like an April Fool's joke at the end of the month instead of the start of the month. Um. What did Nathan say last week? Uh, Something but not yet. (laughs) Now but not yet? Thank you. Now but not yet. Only 13 hours to go. So mission. Mission is a slippery word, isn't it? You know, when I hear the word mission, I often think of military things. You know, it's a military mission. Someone's made this plan and people are going to risk their lives and go and do this, you know, military thing in a war, I suppose. My dad was in the Second World War. But thankfully not in that kind of area of work. Um... Sometimes it's a bit of a scary word, you know, if you describe someone as, oh, yeah, she's a woman with a mission or he's a man on a mission, you know, well, look out, you know, they're going to be in your face, they're going to ask you to sign up, you know, pay some money, whatever, you know, that's, they're a bulldozer, look out, man on a mission. Of course, missionary comes uh, from the word mission and these days, I'm 
sorry to say, in places here in Australia, in New, even in Newcastle, missionary is not a nice word at all. It's more like an accusation than it is an occupation. Um, but in church, when we use the word mission, we often imply cross-cultural mission, meaning I grew up somewhere, but I'm going to go to a foreign place with different language, different food, different clothes, different customs, different norms and behaviours, the buildings are different, that kind of thing. We go from one place we're familiar to to a place that we're not familiar with. You know, when Christians very first went to Africa, the continent of Africa and the continent of Asia, and moved into those places, the stories about them first turning up kind of got a bit out of flavour, told a bit strangely, it seemed to me at least, and to many other people in the centuries that followed. It was almost like in telling the story of those first Christians who went to those places that a man with white skin arrived and had a bag and pulled out of the bag a Bible and pulled out of the bag a gun and pulled out of the bag some Western clothes and pulled out of the bag God and then finally guns and God and Western clothes appeared in those places. And I'm pretty sure that the people who first went to Africa or Asia would be pretty unhappy to hear the story told that way. You know, those places were described as godless places by some people and that God didn't show up until he was pulled out of a bag by a missionary. But that doesn't make sense as a way of telling the story, does it? Because we also teach that God is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, everywhere. There's nowhere you can go where you can't find God. What do you mean? He came out of that bag? He's not that small. That's ridiculous. If all good things come from God, as the psalmist told us and was repeated in James, then when you arrive in this place that God hasn't been to before and you find loyalty and bravery and honesty and hard work and commitment between uh, spouses and patience and love and sacrifice and all these good things, how can you say God is not there? God is there. The story of Jesus definitely needs to be told. The story of forgiveness definitely needs to be told. But it's not like God came out of the bag. God's already present. And so the way the story was is told more nowadays is that when you go to a place where it looks like God's not here yet, you're actually saying, well, Where's God at work in this community? Where are the stories about sacrifice and forgiveness? How can I join in on what God's already doing, has already started, is already underway? It's not like I've got this tiny little God that fits in my bag like my Bible does. Does that make sense? Great. Of course, you don't have to travel overseas to have a cross-cultural experience, do you? I mean, we've got cross-cultural experts in this uh, building, and I don't mean me, I mean those of you who grew up in another country altogether and came to live here and learned to live in a completely different place with different customs, language, food, etc. And we should be pumping those people for stories and uh, advice on how to do that. But you don't have to, it doesn't have to be that extreme. I've been to the McDonald Jones Stadium for a Jets game, or, or maybe even two or three, and I've seen the Knights play there two or three times, and I've seen the Matildas play there, and I've seen the Wallabies play there, and I can promise you there is a cultural difference between the union crowd and the league crowd and the soccer crowd. <laughs> mm, knowing laughter from the crowd. 
depending on how you grow up, I grew up very straight in a church like this. The first time I walked into a pub, I just felt really, really, you know, out of place. I don't know how to stand. I don't know how to look. I don't know what to do. Everybody's staring at me and thinks I'm an idiot. You know, I wasn't that important, of course. I did walk into a pub once when I was hitchhiking in rural Queensland, and it was one of those, like a movie scene, where I walked in the door and all this very loud conversation just complete silence, you know, and 30 men turned around and looked at me, you know, and yeah, nowhere to hide. But there's a culture, isn't there? Even when you're a five-year-old and you go to kindergarten, it's a cultural change, isn't it? From home to the school, when you go from kindergarten to infant school, primary school, high school, all of those steps are crossing into new culture. University, Centrelink, whatever it is you go to for the first time, you experience that cross-cultural gap. Everyone else seems to know what to do, where to stand, what to wear, how to look cool and in place, but you feel like the outsider. So, a story. Uh, A story comes from a long time ago when I was a 16-year-old boy. Now, last week, I think it was last week, Germany introduced himself and said, if you don't know me, I'm one of the young adults or slash youth. And I thought, I don't know what a slash youth is, but I think I missed out on something when I was 16 years old. And I'd like to be one. So if anyone can encourage me or educate me on what a slash youth is, I'm willing to have a go, except I'm too old now. I had a cross-cultural experience. I grew up in the city and uh, I had a mate... And the two of us went and picked up another mate who lived in a little um, place just near Lismore. And we went to our fourth mate's place who lived on a farm at the back of Mwilumba. And, you know, I was a city boy, so the cows, which was a bit of a cross-cultural experience and stuff. But we had a good 16-year-old boys holiday, you know. We had campfires and we chased cows and we built a raft that sunk straight away and did those things at 16. You know, we climbed Mount Warning. We did the appropriate things a 16-year-old boy should do. And we went to church. All four of us went to different churches in our various locations. And uh, so on Sunday, we went to church. And I grew up in a church like this, a Baptist church. And this was a Church of England. Tiny little church, little wooden, beautiful little wooden building. And I went in and people were kneeling down. What are you kneeling down for? What did you drop, you know? And then they get back in their seat Oh, we didn't stay kneeling down, okay. And other people would arrive and they kneel down and then they sit in their seat. Oh, that was a bit... Surely not everyone's dropped something. What's going on? And then when it came time for the service, everyone had a book and we had to follow in the book. And the minister would read something out and I eventually figured out if it was bold, we had to read it out as well. And so, oh, this is new. Can't you make up your own prayers? What's wrong with you guys? Aren't you good enough Christians like us at the Baptist church? You know? And then we came up to the part where the minister said, the peace of the Lord be with you. And I had lost my place in the book by then. And everybody said something back again, which I now know to be, and also with you. And then he gave us an instruction to greet each other with the greeting of peace, which, you know, on that day was very strange for me and unusual. Nowadays, I think that's great. We Baptists should do that ourselves occasionally. Why not? That's a great thing to do. But on the day, completely out of my depth, And all the people in my row kind of turned around 180 degrees and spoke to the people behind them. So I turned around and this big, tall guy grabbed my hand and said, 
the peace of the Lord be with you. And I went, g'day, you know. And, and, and then the person to his right, my left, you know, said, the peace of the Lord be with you. And I went, peace, brother, uh, you know. And, and I think by the third one I'd given up and just smiled, you know. As you do when you're in a cross-cultural situation, you don't know what to do. You smile and nod and hope you're not agreeing with something terrible. <clears throat> After the service, that big tall guy that had shook my hand was talking to other people in the car park and I looked at him and thought, I know that guy. I, know. I reckon that guy played lock for St George. I think he's retired. But I think like when I was in about primary school, he was playing lock for St George. Maybe he was in that big year or St George won 13 premierships in a row or whatever it was. And I said to my mate who was from that church, that big guy that I shook hands with in church, I know him, don't I? He, he, he played um, lock, second row, something for St George. And my mate said, pick, that's the deputy prime minister. <laughs> So there's enough grey hair in this audience this morning. I, this is a quiz question. We're at the back of Mwilam Bar. Depu Deputy Prime Minister, when the coalition is in government, is the leader of the National Party. Who said that? Doug Anthony. Let's have his photo up. There you go. He doesn't look like a footballer at all, does he? <laughs> So there's two teaching points from my story. The first teaching point is back in the 60s and 70s when we built 16-year-olds who were not slash youths, we thought we knew everything. When you're 16, don't you think? They make, they back, they, if there's any 16-year-olds left in the room, can I promise you we make much better models these days than we used to when I was 16. But, boy, you need reminders when you're a teen, don't you, that no, you, you think you know everything, but of course you don't. A much more important um, lesson is there's something about that person that rings a bell. There's something about that guy that rings a bell. I think it's St George, and, but it wasn't. It was much more bigger than that. And don't worry, I've made a much worse mistake than that with famous people. And if you ask me to speak again one day, I'll tell you that story. But on this day, there is something about that person that rings a bell. And I think that would be a great way to approach everybody that we meet. Everybody that we meet, it says in our Bible, has been made in the image of God. And though we don't exactly know what that means, it must mean we should respect, we should listen properly. You don't have to agree with everything, you don't have to prove everything they do, but in terms of respect and listening and realising there's something eternal about this person, every person that applies to the person sitting next to you on either side in front behind you this morning, everyone you're going to meet for the rest of your life, there is something about that person that rings a bell and it is that they're made in the image of God. So it's May Mission Month, some things to consider, some challenges for us. The first, let's think about thinking. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. I said in my creed that knowing and following Jesus changes the way we think and see everything. Work, play, money, poverty, dreams, nightmares, being a son, 
being a daughter, being a parent, being a slave, being a master, you name it, there is stuff for us to think about and it changes the way we think about things. And the way we think changes our attitudes and our attitudes changes what we do and what we do is very important. Some days I feel like the creed of the modern Western world when I come back freshly from Nepal is very simple. It is simply whatever you've got money-wise and toys-wise possessions, it's not enough and you should have more. And then I come back to Australia and think, well, that's true for a certain part of our community, but for the vast majority of us, that's rubbish. Do some research. Go and get one of those trashy gossip magazines and find the pages with people in it who are wealthy enough to own their own helicopters and stuff. They can't even remember how to smile for the camera because all the stuff and all the more stuff and more stuff and more stuff has done what for them? In lots of places, lots of times and places, it's ruined them. It's terrible. Modern Western creed. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's not very Christian creed. All suffering is bad. All suffering. All difficulty is bad. Not true. Not remotely true. Some of the best things come out of the most difficult and hard-working efforts, don't they? All pain is bad. A quick medical tip for you. You only have to look after one leprosy patient to know that the idea that all pain is bad is really stupid. Poor people who suffer from leprosy don't feel pain and their bodies get damaged and damaged and damaged and they have to learn and pretend that things will hurt and look in their shoes for a stone and take it out, not because it hurts, but because they can't feel the damage it's doing to their feet. All pain is bad is really stupid, but you would think coming when I come back from Nepal each time, these kind of things are more in my face, these kinds of creeds of the modern Western world I live in. You know, we've never had a safer lifestyle. We've never had more assurity about what's going to happen this afternoon. We've never had more gadgets that we can press to do the hard labour for us. And yet, so, many, so much struggle, so much unhappiness, it doesn't make any sense. So few smiles. One of the things Anna and I love about Nepali people is that in general, you've just got to push them that much to make them smile or laugh. They're just ready. And when I go to work in the operating theatre, sure, serious things are happening, people need operations, but there's laughter and giggling and people cackling all any day, every day that I turn up. It's wonderful. I love it. So first challenge is do not conform yourselves to the standards of this modern Western world, but let God change you inwardly by a complete change of your mind, the way you think about things. Number two, God crossed the gap. We too should cross the gap. So I said in my creed that natural, in the natural condition, God's way out there and we're here and we can't comprehend God too big. We're not good enough. We're not old enough. We're not smart enough. And there is this business of us being flawed and needing forgiveness. But God was the one who said, I'm going to fix that gap. I'm going to come to you. You're not going to make it here. I'm coming to you. I'm going to come to your planet and live in your place. I'm going to figure out a way through life, death and resurrection and the cross to forgive you for those flaws. And it's God who, who crossed that gap. We too should be people who cross gaps, especially if we're the ones on our own turf. 
if we're the ones in a position of power, if you like, you know, we know how to stand, we know what to wear, we know how to behave. When someone comes into our world who is feeling uncomfortable because they don't know those things and they feel conspicuous and they feel like the guy who walked into the pub and everyone stopped speaking, we should be the one who jumps out of the crowd in the pub and says, come here, let me buy you a beer, even though you look way too young to drink one or whatever. You know what I mean? It should be us that is crossing the gap, making other people feel welcome when they come to our turf. Third thing and last thing you'll be pleased to know, it's not going to be two hours, like Anna said, even though we nepalise the surface in other ways. Let's be open, all of us as individuals, to our own personal involvement in mission. Maybe it's you that needs to go to another place altogether and leave the security of home. Maybe it's you that needs to give financially or emotionally. Maybe it's you that needs to pray for people who are doing those things while you get on and do other things locally. And you don't have to go to Nepal, for goodness sake. What about Ties Hill? What about Mayfield West? God is, it's a whole, the whole of God, God's world from outside this door to as far away as you can think. And there may be things for you to do um, or to support people who do those things. So please be open to that. If you had told me when I was a 16-year-old boy building rafts that, that uh, sunk straight away, one day you will be a doctor, I would have just said, not possible. Because in the 1970s, there was only one way to become a doctor in New South Wales, and there was no way in the world that I could have met that criteria. No way. I would have laughed at you and said, not possible. Even if you'd told me when I was 25, you're going to be a doctor, I still would have said, not possible. I hadn't even thought about it. If you'd have said to me when I was 15 or 25, you're going to go and live in another country and you're going to be there more than you've been in Australia at one period of your life for a pretty long time, I would have said, no, I love Australia. That's not me. Someone else might do that, not me. But here, that's the way the story ended up, isn't it? So please be open to what God has for you to do. Thanks for listening.